Darkcast Network. Welcome to the dark side of podcasting. is a Horrible Histories, Terrible Mysteries podcast. The past, and sometimes the present, are often a bleak place. Listener discretion is advised. If you're a fan of disturbing interests, please like and subscribe. And for the love of God, tell a friend about us. Pretend you're a Mormon. Go door to door with the good news of disturbing interests. Preach our gospel, brothers and sisters, and non-gender binaried siblings, to the world at large. Because remember, with us, you might be disturbed, but you're not alone. Welcome back to Disturbing Interest, everyone. I am Regina King, your evilest queen, and sitting in her own ever, ever lovely, lovely house is my beautiful partner. Hi, I'm Lynn, your docent of darkness. How you doing? Not too bad, and you? <laughs> I'm finally, finally leaving the ghetto. So I am in the middle of a hellacious move, which, folks, may mean that our season, our normal season, comes to an end a little bit earlier than we would normally expect. And that is just because my life and everything involved in it, including all of my podcasting stuff, is going to be in boxes. It's in a box. Yeah. Everything is in a box right now, which if it sounds a little echoey in here, um, that probably is not sound issues, which we have been having and fighting. Um, That is probably just my bare ass walls being very, very echoey. So um, we're going to power on through. That's what I'm saying. Power on through. All right. How about you? What, what have you been up to? What do you got uh, going on? Well, I am uh, I'm about to fuck off out of here uh, next week for beautiful, sunny Pennsylvania. Oh, you lucky my, duck. Oh, yeah. To go see my folks for a week and try not to give them COVID or get COVID from them. Got our shots scheduled for shots. Let's do shots for Monday. Uh, I don't know that that's enough time to really mount a good defense but i thought let's just get this fucker on board for even a tiny little bit and uh yeah that's it a friend of the show Lacey nishtoom and i have our shot date scheduled for next week as well so so yeah get them get them guys they're out that you know i don't know how you know how magically protective they'll be but they're certainly better than not having one you know yeah so yeah. Uh, you know uh, i know everything is sort of in the government doesn't care state at this point but uh, i do we do we still care we still want everybody to stay safe stay healthy keep their t-cells in good fighting shape so yeah go get your jabs yeah i really just don't want people to be affected with some kind of sickness that causes their brains to shink long term so because right? y'all motherfuckers are dumb enough as it is is what i'm well, saying well i know listeners. i am <laughs> no i yeah i'm like god anything that that like I just look at the list of things it could do to you, and I'm like, I want zero of those things. You right, know? Right. Why is it never something cool like ability to fly, laser eyeballs, you know, can communicate with animals verbally? Like, why Why is that never a thing that you get from a virus? Why is it always like your lungs fall out of your butt? Like, why? 
Because if it was the other stuff, everyone would be licking the railings. Probably. Well, they seem like they are already, so, you know. Ooh, did you just hear that, that lovely did. engine what, in the background? Yeah. What was oh, you're going to miss living there. You're going to miss <sighs> living in the Fast and Furious zone. Oh, my God. The gunshots, the engines, oh. the random shady drug deals or sex worker negotiations that I get nice. to overhear when this window is open. Wow. How oh. you're going to miss that. Oh, we had um, we had a barrage of uh, fireworks last oh. night about 930. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we, we were out on Bainbridge Island uh, doing Bainbridge Island stuff and uh, came home and we're like, oh, and all of a sudden we hear like, and it just kept going for like 20 minutes. And we were like, the fuck is this? You know, we went outside. We tried to look and see. There was no sign Too late of in the evening to be a school shooting. So, you know, you're safe there. <laughs> and I mean, it just kept going. And I was like, the fuck is this shit? And it's not a holiday that I'm aware of in the United States. I, I mean, it, it, I believe um, was a Mexican holiday. So, OK, mate. But like we, we are not in Mexico. No, but it is widely celebrated in Seattle. I, in fact, I saw a, a dune buggy parade. That's delightful. Yesterday. It, it was until the last one that drove past was flying a Trump flag. Oh, and I was just like, oh, guys, Jesus, my, guys, you are my dumb. people. What are you doing? Like, uh, he he is not pro anyone with the, uh, as much melanin in their skin as my people have. Um, He's what? not pro anyone. Just stop it right there. He, Fair. He, you know, I mean, yes, theoretically, you know, white dudes are his favorite people, but he's the only person he's pro is himself so fair that, that guy's a dickhole do not however that demands that we recognize him as a person i mean and he's, he's certainly a bag of flesh a flesh he bag is a, he is a bag of assholes <laughs> well but yeah no we were like and then i was like oh my god i know where i'm gonna look to find out what the fuck is going on the the most oh my god i saw i saw children in the neighborhood after 8 p.m place on earth oh next door correct correct and i looked and uh, and in fact they were like oh my god what's happening is it is it an invasion is it world war three no and it was actually from a barge at the end of bainbridge island so i guess we we left bainbridge before the booms happened uh, I guess there was, and it didn't say like for what. It was just the Kitsap Fire Department says it's going to sound like uh, the end times for about twenty minutes, but don't call nine one one. But it didn't extend that to the rest of the Puget Sound, so everybody was like, "Should we call nine one one? Is what's happening?" So that is yeah. freaking hilarious. First off, your personal next door is one of my favorite things. It truly is. Oh like my your God. personal neighborhood is freaking hilarious. Uh, when when friend of the show, Lacey Nishu, lived in your neighborhood, she would check the next door every once in a while. And my favorite exchange had to do with this very aggressive crow in the neighborhood. Oh my god! Everyone on next, I'm like, does no one have a hobby in my neighborhood? <laughs> no, no, they do not. Well, and remember when Pokemon Go was a big deal? I yep. swear to God, during that time, we everybody that played Pokemon Go, myself included, 
was giving every like Mrs. Grundy and uptight and out of sight white guy in the neighborhood a heart attack because you'd just be walking around with your phones late at night or even driving slowly around and it would be like everyone's casing they're casing our house they're casing I'm like I'm trying to catch a Snorlax motherfucker I don't want your shit which, just, speaking of, you are know, you still doing Pokemon Go? I am not. I am not. Aw, yeah, I think sorry. of you when it comes to Pokemon Go. That just makes me sad. No, I'm not. I'm not Pokemoning. Some I sort of. I lost my love of like walking around. I did a little bit, especially at the very beginning of the pandemic. But then I was sort of like, I'm just gonna hide in my house and be weird. And so I sort of lost the taste for it at that point. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm really excited. My new neighborhood is so walkable. Oh, it's so walkable. It's right over by uh, the shorefront of Lake Washington nice. at the Japanese gardens. Oh, yeah. very nice. Yeah, I'm super excited. I get to leave my house without fear. That, that's very, that is really important. That is genuinely not even joking important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and who knew? Who knew that was something I was going to have to say in my life now at oh, this age? Oh, God. Yeah, no, yeah. it's a... Uh... I just feel like as as things get weirder and weirder and, you know, the haves get heavier and the have-nots get have-naughtier, uh, it just gets weirder and more dire. People people are ready to just pop off and do crazy shit at any time. And I, I'd like us not to. I'd like to turn that volume down, guys. But, yeah, that's where we're at. Yeah, but, I mean, think about it. If we started referring to the have-nots as have-naughtiers... That just sounds a far more adventurous because I sounds don't know. Sounds fun, like ooh, yeah. I want to be a have naughty, but yeah, I want to be naughty. I want to be have naughty. I mean, if I'm gonna be a have not, it's gonna be a have naughty. Have naughty, yeah. Anyway, so what are you drinking today? Uh, I have something terrifying. Oh, I, before I, I get into that, I'm gonna. It is drink beverage related. Uh, I had a hilarious will moment. So, um, Will a couple days ago comes into the, you know, into the kitchen and he has a big glass of something sort of purple grape juicy. And I was like, what, what do you got? What are you drinking there? And he was like, he sort of looked blank from it. Like he had fused (laughs) out and he couldn't remember. And he was like, the purple shit that tastes like Europe. (laughs) And I was like, Kool-Aid or something. Ribena. He had Ribena. Yeah, he bought himself a, a bottle of Ribena syrup and was making Ribena. So, the yeah, purple was, shit, the purple that shit tastes, tastes like Europe. Europe. I, I think Ribena ought to just make that their new international marketing slogan. The yes. purple shit that tastes like Europe. Yes, yes, it should. I have a funny story, not drink related, to completely derail us, which I, you have heard me regale everyone at the gallery with, but our lovely listeners need to hear this too about why I am being looked at in a strange light by my neighbors. Now, remember, we just said that I don't feel safe outside my own house. So why am I causing my neighbors who I do not feel safe around to give me fucking side eye? Because you have a death wish? Or conversely, be more like, can't you see I'm crazy than your neighbors and they'll leave you alone? I'm really leaning hard into that. But the actual reason is because of TikTok. So I'm not sure how many of you out there have seen the craze where you wave your hand arm, like kind of like snake arms at a squirrel. And uh, it's supposed to make the squirrel come to you. 
which I don't really know how much squirrel action I want in my life from wild squirrels, but I was curious to see if it would work. And that is ultimately going to be what is like the cause of my death is my fucking curiosity. That's going to be what takes me out. So I go over and I start waving at squirrels, but it's not like this is a situation where the squirrel would even come to me when I'm waving to the squirrel. There's always a dog nearby or some bullshit like a car. And so I'm just out there randomly waving at fucking squirrels for no reason, but I'm doing it with snake arms. And so my neighbors are all like, what the fuck is wrong with this bitch? I, maybe they were like, is she trying to put, I put a spell on you kind of thing. I don't you know. You know what? With the way I dress, I could totally believe that that's what they think. You were like the snaky armed squirrel witch. Yes, the snaky iron squirrel whisperer. Oh my god, they were worried that you were trying to like go full like forest willard and raise a squirrel army to take over your your crusty um, apartment complex. This is go. what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to raise a squirrel and crow army to take over Seattle. I'm yes. I'm okay with that. That seems yes. fine. Thank you. I'm glad you support my dreams. I feel like the vermin of Seattle probably have a better chance of doing a good job than our current mayor and city council. So there <laughs> you go, you know? There you go. Anyway, back to what you're drinking. Sorry, okay. I was just like squirrel snake arms. So this this is, this is one is hilarious. This is one I wish that we, we actually had like podcast division so you could see the can. So we got this when we were in Bainbridge, which became Booze Bridge Island. Because they have a hilariously <laughs> stocked canned cocktails section in their little town and country market. And this one is... What else are you going to do on Bainbridge? Right. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, you can walk through the, the woods. We went to see the trolls. We were on yeah. a troll hunt. Uh, so we troll hunted. Because uh, there, there's all those Thomas Danbo trolls that are appearing in the woods throughout the Pacific Northwest. Oh, yeah. We're totally going to do that after we move. Oh, yeah. Well, we've seen three so far the nice. one in ballard has just been cr uh, constructed hopefully we'll see the portland one next month and then i don't know when the vashon one will be manifesting but when it that happens we'll go to hippie island and check that out nice because bainbridge is more like posh hippie island yes. so so this one is it's from a place called 503 cocktails made in oregon and if for those that are not from the pacific northwest of course that is the portland area code and the logo is a little silhouette of a man with a beard, a beanie, glass, like Ira Glass glasses, and a pipe with 503 wow. on it. I was like leaning hard into it, leaning hard. Wow. Uh, and this thing, since it is about uh, 11 o'clock in the morning, and, and again, I want to stress, guys, I don't drink the whole can. Like, I'm not... I am not in any way contractually obligated to consume the can. I taste it, and I usually, if it's especially if it's terrible, it, the, the the sink gets the rest. But I definitely, because it is 11 a.m. and I have shit to do to get ready for Pennsylvania, I will not be drinking this entire can because there are two, not one, but two cocktails levels contained in here, and it's 12% alcohol by volume, so it's not fucking around. So I'm going to take a sip or two just to report on this, but I will not be consuming this, because if I do, by the end of the episode, I, you don't know me. Fuck you, you don't know me. And no one wants that. No one I wants want that. that. That is no. my favorite I, version of you. <laughs> I have so much to do today, that is not a good idea. The name of this beverage, I am not shitting you, is called La Vida Mocha. Oh my god. 
Rum chocolate coffee. I'm going to die. All right. So I thought, again, you know, it's morning. It has coffee in it. Sure, why not? So let's uh, let's see if I can bust into this thing. The can is really well sealed. Here we are. That's good can noise. It's, oh, God, it smells like all those things. It smells, it smells flammable is what it smells. Okay, here we go. Whoa, yeah, no, none of that is a joke. That is, that is definitely... <laughs> Well, okay, so all of these cocktails are really funny because, like, they are in the cans. So unlike if you just made yourself, like, a mocha chocolata yaya sort of beverage, mm -hmm. these have a more, like, watered-down flavor to them, you know? So as the way I always like to think of it is it's, like, if you nursed your drink and the ice right, melted. exactly. Yeah. So it's pre-iced pre for you, and thank God... Cause Jesus Christ, like this, I, this can will fuck you up. Like this has the flavor of fuck you up is what it has. Uh, it's actually pretty tasty. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, you know, say no to this one. I mean, I would say no to the whole can. Like, don't do that. You'll die. You'll end up. This is like the dude. Uh, this is a, a Cohen Brothers. Hey, careful, man. There's a beverage here situation. Uh, yeah, no, it's wow. It's I'm and it's. It's not super duper sweet. It definitely has that sort of bitter coffee flavor to it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to take one more tiny sip of tiny, like just to wet my tongue sip, because wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now I'm getting the, the chocolate, like, because it's very, like, booze and coffee, boom, forward, you know, like that punches you right mm -hmm. in the face. But on, on further sippage, there's definitely a little bit of that chocolate to kind of mellow it out like it's not a beautifully smooth beverage but it's um it's not bad like i guess but if it's you a were... beverage <laughs> yeah i mean like this would be the kind of thing if you were making i don't know i'm not this person but if i was this person and i made brunch picnics to take out somewhere and i i would take this with me and share it with my friend i guess yeah no this is this isn't bad i in fact i'm gonna probably like just put a little bit of, of aluminum foil over the top of the can and put it back in the fridge and share it perhaps with Wilhelm later on today because this is uh this is fascinating this is this is fascinating I, this is not one for the sink for no one way yeah that, that is a record right there we but, we get those very rarely on this show right well I'm gonna switch the bearded guy with the Ira glass glasses cannot lie I mean you know those look say what you will about that bearded hipster type they do make a good craft cocktail they do that they is do true. that well I'm gonna switch back to just coffee coffee because that seems like a far wiser plan <laughs> oh that's what i'm drinking too yeah but uh but yeah no uh the 503 cocktails live in la vida mocha the mocha cho i think of it as the mocha choca lata yaya yeah. but it is uh it is something it's yeah <laughs> i like your name more all right well thank you for that as always uh for being our, our guinea pig for for comedy for weird boozy shit that comes in a can yes yes today uh you have no idea what the story is about today do you i have no idea i've just been in my like oh god i gotta get ready for all kinds of things it just I, i'm just like you know, stuff just just keeps flying at me, and I keep whacking it away. So that's that's what I've been doing. Nice, nice, whack it, whack it away. Well, today I am telling you about the Battle of the Hat Pins, and also just kind of about hat pins at large, because 
you know, that's just who I be. It's not a thing that comes up so often in these modern times, so it's got to be an exciting novel thing to talk about. That's right. That's right. And my resources for today's show were Wikipedia, the Canadian Encyclopedia, Historic Canada on YouTube, the American Hat Pin Society, the Desert Sun, Blurred Bylines, the Hat Pin Menace, American Women Armed and Fashionable by Carrie Seagrave, and my father for his firsthand nun experience. All right, that that's... You have you have gone from A to Z on the wonderful world of the hat pin. After my revision of Never Go Out Without Your Hat Pin, which I sang and it forced me to search for the lyrics for our podcast. I don't know if you actually heard that, but <laughs> I did record it and tack it on as promised um, to the episode where I referenced it. But searching for the lyrics definitely jacked with my algorithm because I have been filled with interesting factoids about hat pins since. Bursting with just a a bristle of hat pins. You were like a a hat pin porcupine. Yes. Hat pin fact porcupine. Seriously, I know more about hat pins than I ever thought I would at this point. But it's interesting. Who needed that math, right? Um, So who knew that hat pins, which were usually four to 13 inch long pieces of metal, would end up being so controversial. By the way, on average, they were about eight inches long. So that's a good chunk of spike right there. Yeah, that is a serious piece of steel to have, like, jammed up near your head. Right, right. Um, And today I'm going to tell you about not just the hat pin itself, like I said, but also the Battle of the Hat Pins in Ottawa, Canada, because, of course, there was a Battle of the Fucking Hat Pins, and, you know, I just have to share this after learning this knowledge. This is another case of I started my research in one area and ended up getting distracted. I'm like a freaking dog who sees a squirrel when it comes to my research these days, I swear. So why a hat pin? Like, seriously, we still wear hats, but why not the pins? Did the hats suddenly become less pin necessary? Did style evolve so pins were not a thing? Did hair become less cushion-like and therefore not pin-receptive? Or, you know, when did we even start pinning our hats to our heads to begin with? Like, so many questions. And since these are the places my mind goes, I figured I'd take you with me. Okay. I'm glad you're in for the ride. Hat pins can be traced back to the 1400s when the medieval ladies would pin their veils and wimples. Do you know what a wimple is? I imagine I, you do as a hatter. Yeah, I do. I do. It's the sort of like head scarfy thing that we associate with nuns. Today. Yes, yes. Uh, better known as a habit these days. And now the history of the wimple has become a very hot topic in my house. My dad claimed that they came from the Middle East because he was thinking hijab. And I would like to clarify that they do not. (laughs) They are European in origin, and we most commonly see them today in nuns' habits. 
and the practice of donning their wimple after marrying God originated from the medieval practice of women donning one after marriage. I have no idea if nuns use hat pins to secure them today, since they're illegal in a lot of places, probably not. I'm guessing bobby pins. Well, according to my dad, the nun that he was friends with used bobby pins. So, yeah, there's our firsthand uh, nun knowledge that he was throwing down for us. That's the modern nun tech. Yes. The bobby pin. Indeed, indeed. For the wimples. Hi, this is Kelly. And this is Jenna. We're the hosts of ODFM. That's one from murder. Each week, we discuss a true crime murder case. And intertwine our unique sense of dark humor. Each episode relates to a word starting with the letter D. The stories we tell are serious and true. Our opinions are not. But be warned, we don't hold back on the details of the case. Or our inappropriate comments and colorful language. Join us every Monday on your favorite podcast provider for a new episode of ODFM. We're on a full ride scholarship to hell. Welcome to Murder and Mimosas. I'm Shannon. And I'm Danica. Together as a mother and daughter duo, we host Murder Mimosas, true crime podcast with an episode released every Saturday at 10 a.m. so you can listen to it during prime brunch time. While we don't require a mimosa, we do highly recommend one. All of our episodes are cases that we found really interesting or just really stuck with us because we hope they'll do the same for you. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Mythical True Crime Podcast is now proudly joining the DarkCast network of indie podcast creators. Join us as we delve into the mysterious and the macabre, exploring captivating tales of true crime, legends, and unsolved mysteries from the realms of mythology and reality. Uncover the dark, true tales of modern legends with our spoken narratives and the blend of history, crime, and the supernatural. Hi, I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan. We are Mountain Murders, an Appalachian true crime podcast dropping weekly episodes every Sunday. Our show offers well-researched cases with unique storytelling and southern flavor. Stories so good you'll want to sop them up with a biscuit. Ooh, I pull back the curtain on lesser-known and often obscure regional cases from Georgia to Maine, exploring the darkness that lurks deep in the heart of Appalachia. And I react with profound statements. <laughs> you mean profoundly stupid statements. <laughs> Something like that. We're not your stereotypical hillbillies. But we do like moonshine. It'll tickle your innards. Join us every Wednesday for Mountain Murders Offbeat. Offbeat is a mini episode covering a variety of topics from true crime to conspiracy theories, the paranormal and Appalachian-centric subjects. Find Mountain Murders anywhere you download podcasts. Hit subscribe today to catch up on our latest episodes or binge our catalog. Anyhow, hat pins were hugely popular. And Britain couldn't even keep up with the manufacturing demands because they all had to be handcrafted during the time. So hat pins became a large export for France. 
with the Americans inventing the hat pin machine or hat pin making machine in 1832 and bonnets going completely out of style in the 1880s. Thank fucking God. I hate a bonnet. Hat pins became a common accessory for women. As doing this research, I was taking down a separate rabbit hole of how to keep a hat fixed on my head because, you know, I have a couple that like to blow away and apparently I created a whole new few projects for myself of sewing hair clips and elastic bands to a few of them. Anyway, super interesting videos out there if any of you are thinking to yourself, you know, I could use a hat pin. I have to do that because hat pins are no longer available for purchase. And why can we no longer purchase an item that was created in the 1400s? Well, because once enough women had hat pins that they were commonly carrying them in their handbags. It didn't take long for men to realize they were armed. And once armed, women could defend themselves from what they called mashers. Now, do you know what the term masher refers to? A cad, a bounder. Yeah, it's a cutesy sounding term for sexual assaulter. Yep. Right. Yep. Well, once a lady can defend herself from men making unwanted sexual demands from them, why the fuck wouldn't they, right? Hey, why not? I Sure. I feel like this is like your medieval or, or early modern bear spray. Yes, yes. Uh, at this point, it would have been early modern. After the hat pin was went into wide manufacturing from America, so like 1832 became commonly manufactured. So probably about the 1850s on, they were in everybody's hands. Or head. Or head, yes. <laughs> With the hat pin in hand, many a lady's virtue was saved while a wave of men found themselves seeking medical care for stab wounds, eye punctures, face slashes, or they wouldn't get help and just ended up getting metal poisoning and dying. Oh, well. Yeah, seriously. Now, I'm saying good for them and fuck those rapists. Yeah. Thanks for clearing out the gene pool, ladies. Yeah, good job. Good job. But this was during a time when women's rights were the hot-button topic. It was during the suffragette movement when women were demanding to be treated equal. And it's a fight that has not stopped for over a hundred years. So let's not forget that in respect to this story. It's not like we're not still fighting that fight. Anyway, the menfolk not taking too kindly to women poising a physical threat to them for the first time fucking ever, and being able to defend themselves, decided to start legislation against the use of hat pins. Women were out gaining employment within factories more and more, and even living scandalously unmarried outside of the family home on their own. This increased their exposure to men in a way that had not been common in living memory during that time. This change to the societal norms was what spurred the suffragette movement as women demanded to be recognized as people with equal rights, values, and opinions, just like men. Women, it's like we're kind of like people. (laughs) And not just vagina purses waiting to be sold. Exactly. 
taking away their form of protection. Well, that went over about as well as a sack of wet farts with the women. And so they started protesting, forming rallies, and even marching to maintain the right to own and carry hat pins. Seriously, sometimes it's almost like I can hear the zippers unfurling right before the peen is pulled out to write the laws that affect women. I would have expected the battle of the hat pins to have happened over the right to carry them as forms of protection. But (laughs) that would be too obvious now, wouldn't it? The New York Tribune even published a story featuring hat pins as a weapon that seemed quite instructional, showing some support was being lent to women in the fight to keep their pins by some pretty heavy backers. The main argument that the New York Tribune used in favor of hat pins were that they were safer for women to carry than guns. But no, once again, white male panic was worked into U.S. law to completely disregard women's desires or safety. And across the U.S., hat pins started to be outlawed. You know, because guns don't kill people. Hat pins do. My favorite defense to these laws, and just so you know, I say this with all disgust and sarcasm, It was that if a woman was assaulted, then it was probably her own fault. Well, always. Uh, What was she wearing? Clearly not a hat pin. Exactly, right? You know, she should have made herself less pretty, worn something else, stayed out of a certain place where it may be kind of shady. You mean the world? All of the world? All of the world. Or maybe they should have just married a nice man and stayed home in the first place. Ah, I'm just a girl living in captivity. I'm just a girl living in misogyny. Yeah. Every damn day. Every damn day. Around the time that hat pins were being legislated out of practice, kind of like what the South is trying to do right now with Black history, World War II hit and public attention was distracted away from the hat pin fight. Around the same time, bobby pins became a thing. First trademarked as the Kirby Grip, created in Birmingham by the Kirby Beard and Company, the popular item was renamed after the bobby cut that women often used the hairpins to hold. And due to a lawsuit in the 1950s, it was determined that the term bobby pin was no longer trademarked by Kirby, who had originally wanted to call them Kirby pins. Kirby pins. Yes. And somewhere in an alternate universe, I'm enjoying Ben Affleck's rendition of Batman with my hair held out of my eyes by Kirby pins. Both things, unfortunately for me, will never happen on this plane of existence. I'm just picturing like Kirby, like the little video game character, but with like a pin. Yes. I would wear those. He's cute. Yes. Same. Kirby's adorable. Same. If it was actually a Kirby on the pin, I would be That would be fine. Those probably exist. They probably do. If anyone knows of any Kirby pins, please send a link to us at disturbinginterest at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up on any of our social media platforms. Back to the story. 
now that you have the history of hat pins onto the story I'm actually here to tell you about. On January 7th in 1916 in Canada, another ridiculous fight was going on to impose the will of a few onto another few who did not want it. And surprise, the conservatives were at the root of what unfurled. I'm pretty sure that most of our listeners know that the French influence in Canada is strong, including the language. However, what might not be widely known is that in July of 1912, regulation was passed that restricted French language education in Ontario. It limited the use of the French to teach with up to the second grade, meaning that it was the teachers speaking in French when they were teaching. Now, it's important to note here that about 10% of the populace of Ontario at the time spoke French as their primary language. So that's a pretty good chunk of the children who were spit out of luck if they wanted an education. The regulation received some pretty strong pushback as the association, and I swear I'm going to do my best, guys. I'm so sorry for what is about to occur. Canadien Francais d'Education de l'Ontario, otherwise known as the ACFEO, a French language rights organization, which was created in 1910, went so far as to take the government court over this regulation, trying to get it withdrawn. It was known as Regulation 17, and they wanted it gone. Still, the regulation stayed in place, and teachers in schools kept refusing to abide by it. This ended up resulting in school walkouts when an inspector came to investigate the school and hiding away school books that were written in French like they were a teenager's first porno. Well, it is the language of romance, so, you know. I had to wonder why the parents and teachers who were so dedicated to the French language that they flouted the law didn't just send their kids to private schools or start a private school based around, you know, teaching in French language. After all, in the U.S., The church is supposed to be kept out of the classroom, but many private schools are Catholic to allow them in. And it turns out private or separate schools, as they're known in Canada, still receive government funding. So that's not possible. Mm -hmm. In fact, the Ottawa Catholic Separate School Board, which was an elected body that ran the French language schools in the city was replaced in 1915 when the Ontario Premier appointed an entirely new board. This was a response to the board's refusal to uphold Regulation 17. The new board eventually became known as the Petite Commission, and they were meant to ensure compliance, which let me say the fact that they were put in to remove French language teaching or make sure that the law was being abided by and their name was the Petite Commission. That's weird. Like, that seems very strange to me. Like, why would... 
that's weird. Right? I want more explanation behind that, and I couldn't find any. Basically, qualify, Canada. Qualify. In September of 1915, the largest French school in Ottawa, the Guget School, again, I'm so sorry, I don't know if that's correct, in Ottawa's Lower Town District, hired two new teachers. They were sisters, Diane and Patrice Deloge. And when the sisters began work, they were like, Regulation 17? I only know 16 regulations, friendo. And they immediately started teaching in French. After about a month of nonstop French language usage in the classroom, they were issued a stern warning by the Petite Commission. Either the sisters quit teaching in French, or they forfeit their paychecks and their teaching credentials. Well, what the Little Commission did not know was that not only were the Deloges unwilling to comply, they were also whipping up the voices of dissent from all the parents as well. So when the commission fired the sisters and had them replaced by English-speaking teachers by October 4th, you can imagine that they thought it would end things. But they were very, very wrong. You see, the Deloges had not quit teaching. But instead, like fugitives with the help of local parents and churches, they set up their renegade class in church basements and continued teaching. Viva la Revolution! In December, after months of hiding and conducting their teachings in private, the sisters and parents had decided that they had had enough of Ottawa treating them like their mistress and demanded to be recognized in public. But what could they really do to obtain adequate facilities when they were breaking the law? Well, they did the only thing they could. They formed a plan to invade. Okay. <laughs> That's right. On January 4th, 1916, the Deloge sisters, with 70 mothers and 50 fathers, this was not a small group of children being educated by them, nor a small group of parents. Like, this number really kind of puts it in perspective here. 120 parents made the move to occupy Giges, I, I think that's how you pronounce it, I do not know for sure, again, school, the largest French teaching school. The school was able to operate while parents stood guard uninterrupted for three days. However, on January 7th, the Petite Commission decided to end this by taking 30 police officers to the school to remove what I am now going to call the French revolutionaries. This is one hell of a PTA. Right? Ha <laughs> The power of the pissed parent. Right? The encounter that happened between the parents and the police that day as the police tried to keep the Deloge sisters from teaching another day in French became known as the Battle of the Hatpins. Parents swung pans, clubs, and particularly fierce hatpins at the officers. Eventually, 
the parents were able to sneak the two sisters in and carry out school for the day. And after the battle had ended, the Petite Commission sent their president, Arthur Charbonneau, to negotiate with the parents. His mistake, though, was that he went in with the intention of convincing the parents to not only surrender, but also to accept the new English-speaking teachers and quit their silly, silly French-speaking ways. I'm sure you can imagine how well that went over. (laughs) Like un ballon of lead. Yes. Yes. Yeah, they physically removed him from the building and told him to get lost, but not before they made him resign from his position. (laughs) I love it. I love them so much. I read that and I was like, yes, parents, go. They had not started down the road to revolution with the intention of being persuaded by Arthur from the Petite Commission, and the parents continued to stand guard, allowing the Deloge sisters to continue teaching for like the rest of the year, but they were pretty much left alone after that. And the group inspired others throughout the region, and the hat pin itself became a symbol supporting teaching in French in schools and the repeal of Regulation 17. After the fires of the French Revolution, because that's what it is now, began to spread, Regulation 17 was finally withdrawn and the teachers were free to teach in French again. And... That's my story for you today about a random semi-modern battle, as well as the storied hat accessory. Nice! Who knew that fashion could be so... Oh my god, these are all fashion victims, is what they are. (laughs) Yes, yes. And I guess really my big takeaway from this story would be not to worry about no longer having the right to wear the hat pin in certain areas. After all... Unlike the 1920s, women are no longer being assaulted. Nah. Well, unlike the 1920s, if you are assaulted and end up impregnated, then you won't be forced to care. Yeah. You know what? Maybe we should bring the hat pins. Hell yeah. I'm for it. Me too. Anyway, so that is the Battle of the Hat Pin. And in the same breath of wanting to show support for women's rights, I am focusing today's do something on UN Women. So UN Women is an amazing uh, program that supports women's rights, and they do amazing work all over the world. If you want to help out UN women and right now specifically women and girls in Ukraine and neighboring countries who are going through horrific conditions because of the war, go to unwomen.org 
and um, click on the donate button if you want to donate or look into how you can get involved with the program. It's extremely good. They have donation amounts as little as $25 and up to as much as $500. You can give once, you can give monthly. That is totally up to you. You know, we just really encourage you that if you have some extra and you want to do some good with it, and you don't want to be part of our lovely fan cult, which we definitely understand personally, I would rather you use that money to donate to things like this. So that's our do something. And I got a text while we were recording this uh, that the mystery of what the boom, boom, boom in the sound was, all the big fireworks. Oh, what was it? Well, we cannot blame the people excited about Mexico being independent. It was not the Mexicans. It was some rich douche having oh. a birthday. Um, Apparently, same thing on a lo- lesser scale happened last year. Some guy with a lot of money decided to celebrate his birthday by blowing shit up loudly in the middle of, of the Puget Sounds for 20 minutes. So dune buggies, yes, for Mexico. Fireworks, no, apparently. And here we are keeping you all up to date with loud shit in Seattle. Loud shit in Seattle. Yeah. It was not Mexico. So don't don't be popping off at Mexico. Go yell at a rich dude. Hey, you know what? I encourage people to do that on a daily basis. Right? And it doesn't even have to be over anything. Right? Don't pop off at Mexico. Go yell at a rich white dude. Right? Yep. All right. And on that note, remember, take care of each other. And you might be disturbed. But But you're also sadly not armed with a hat pin, but you could be. Or alone. Thanks for listening, friends. Please remember to like, subscribe, and tell a friend. And check us out on social media. On Facebook, we are the Disturbing Interest Podcast. Twitter, podcast underscore DI. Instagram, DI Podcast. Or if you really want to send us something, you can send it to our P.O. Box at 70515 Seattle, Washington, 98127.